One championship done, another loading. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of F1 Review 2023. I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. Today we look back at the Japanese Grand Prix and first of all we talk of course about Red Bull who have won the Constructors' Championship for the season. The second year they've done this in a row. It's their fifth in total since entering F1. Now I feel like with this championship and the drivers it was a question of when, it is a question of when, for one, a question of when for this one indeed. Our thoughts on this, though? Mm, yeah, absolutely, right? It was always going to be a when. And I, to be fair, it's not It's not just like this came out of the out of the blue. The consistency of Red Bull basically meant that it was, although we were waiting for that mathematical um, certainty for Red Bull to win, we've known that Red Bull were going to win for a very long time, simply because of the deficit that every other team had and the swapping around of second place and third place. Aston Martin being really strong at the beginning and then Ferrari and Mercedes and the wow, McLaren sort of catching up as well. And you know, when everyone else distributes the points in second and third place, it just means that it gets easier and easier for whoever is consistently in first to take it. And Red Bull are on an absolutely insane streak at the moment. And discounting Singapore, the fact that they've got to... 623 points with six Grand Prix and some sprints left is absolutely mind-boggling. I know that we have to take into account that the points have changed. Uh, um, it used to be and you got points down to eight, for example, and the amount of points you got was much lower. Um, so you didn't used to be in as many points for first place. But 623 points is absurd. Absolutely nuts and i just i think the the question is right now i'm asking myself well what what who what's the competition now so 2022 red bull got 759 points by the end of the season do you think do you think they're going to beat their their previous record yes simple as that like forget singapore red bull's car just looks unbeatable verstappen had a point to prove this weekend, he feel, he feels, in the way he drove. He drove like he had a point to prove. He said in the post-race or post-qualifying press conference that those who doubted the Red Bull car's pace should go suck on an egg. Very uh, polite and diplomatic as always. And he showed them. I think he said that because people had said because that Red Bull had lost out because there'd been a new technical directive and therefore they'd been caught out in the rules. But... He took issue with that. He disagreed with that very much. And to be honest, Red Bull, yeah, showed 
well one Red Bull showed the brilliance of the car and how fast it is and how dominant it is and how realistically since the very start of the season this Constructors' Championship being won by them has looked inevitable. They got the fastest car around all types of circuits. Suzuka is your kind of circuit where it has a bit of everything and especially those fast corners. It can show the strength that Red Bull car in those in that first sector with those fast corners. Verstappen, I read that on his qualifying lap, his second run in Q3 on Saturday, he went 11 kilometers an hour faster through each of the corners in the first sector than in his first run, which just shows how brilliant and dominating he was. I'm sure we'll come on to the travails and the tribulations of Sergio Perez, but to focus on Red Bull, it's what their sixth constructors' championship. It's looking like their seventh drivers' championship is going to come very soon. It's almost inevitable that it's going to happen in Qatar. I think once again we just have to salute an absolutely brilliant operation, a team that won a few championships in its infancy. So won those four championships in its first nine years or ten years as a Formula One team. But I think which is now come back as a team which is a much more ruthless operation it seems like they've got everything in order they've got christian horner who ironically despite being the most experienced team principal on the grid is still the youngest team principal on the grid which says a lot for how long he's been around and you've also got a mercurial talent driving the car who can't be stopped at the moment so i'd like to congratulate red bull personally they've fair place them but can we mention, he doesn't get enough mentions, Adrian Newey. He went to uh, our university, Southampton. He's an alumni there. And he has designed so many brilliant cars over the years. For those of you not aware, he was a designer at McLaren and Williams in the 1990s and 2000s. Designed some cars that won championships at those teams. And then joined Red Bull around about the time that they joined Formula One and has continued to produce absolutely stunning cars in terms of the pace they are able to produce. So, a shout-out to, to Adrian. <laughs> first Your mate. Basis, obviously. <laughs> um, but, yeah, fair play to Red Bull. Like, can't knock their achievement. It's pretty stunning once again. And on they roll. Can they win the last six races, I suppose, is their next ambition. I think ruthless is absolutely the word to use for Red Bull. The fact that we were talking unironically about the fact that Red Bull could win every single race of a Grand Prix season is just mind-boggling in of itself. Rewind to Red Bull dominance of old of Vettel and Weber and even of Mercedes, of Hamilton, Bottas and Hamilton and Rosberg. And we never really spoke about the fact that a constructor could feasibly have the potential to go and win every single race and may fall short by just one or perhaps two. But moving on from that as well, I think the fact that A, there's been people or constructors falling so far behind, as Tristan said, but the fact that they're, I suppose the main opposition, if you will, is rotated and changed over time. We thought at one point Alonso would always be on the podium, be that P2 or P3, and he'd always be in around the points, the biggest uh, opponent to Verstappen, Perez, when he's in uh, a good a part of his form. But no, it seems that McLaren and Ferrari have stepped up a bit, just waiting for Mercedes to do similar, not thinking they'll be able to do that, if I'm honest, looking at how they've done more recently. But a ruthless operation by Red Bull. I feel that what they do in the summer, not only in terms of their car and setup, but also what they do in terms of personnel, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, could be quite telling in terms of what they do moving forwards. Because I think that um, 
now they've got this one all sewn up, but perhaps looking a bit further forward in terms of what they can do and um, who they can perhaps bring in at this time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, let's face it, Red Bull, Red Bull are now thinking, right, well, how, how far can we go? And this weekend was a, a really good demonstration of why it's not just about the machinery. And I feel like often it's very easy to point at at like small differences in drivers. Like let's take Hamilton and Bottas and how Hamilton was able to extract more out of the Mercedes than Bottas was. Um, but fundamentally, most of the time you think, oh, okay, that that's you know, the difference isn't actually all that much. It might be a couple of tenths of a second, if that. This weekend was a, was a real clear demonstration of how you can have a car that's capable of being supremely dominant and more dominant, I think, than we've seen other cars for a very, very long time. And if you are just, if you still not got the headspace there, it is completely useless. That is irrelevant. Perez may have well driven a Williams all weekend, um, to, be, to be honest. It was abysmal. And what's rather embarrassing for Red Bull, I think, actually, was they took the Constructors' Championship and yet they kind of had like one car there and they were like, oh yeah, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, thanks Max. Thanks Max, it's brilliant. Oh, okay, we'll just <clears throat> ignore the other one. Um, so I think that actually, I think if I was Christian Orn, I'd be slightly miffed now that, that that your your race is also going to be remembered by the fact that you had to bodge a penalty and oh God, you had those collisions and God, can 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 he just not take the limelight away as as Max and and you know you you craft a, a wonderfully beautiful season so it's kind of a, a weird feeling I got a weird feeling at the end of the race um, or maybe that was just because it was really really early in the UK and I just wasn't awake yet but uh, um, it was definitely an odd race in that in that regard now last weekend actually we pre- tried to predict how how much Max was going to win by if you remember I'm, I'm very pleased that we were able to successfully predict that max was going to completely dominate it that 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 made me feel quite good unfortunately it was bittersweet because of just how much max dominated by um if you would like to know in the in the race max ended up winning by 19.387 seconds so do you remember what you predicted max would win by Last week, I said he'd win by 30 seconds. So I'm, again, I seem to be really bad at this. Way out there. But Angus and Tom, what what did you elect that he'd win by? I said 17 seconds. So I was quite close in the end. I can't remember making a guess. So either I've got some sort of mental fatigue or <laughs> it was one I didn't make. But no, I can't remember making one, to be fair. No. Well, I think, Angus, you were pretty... Pretty darn close, actually, with uh, seventeen. I'll take seconds. that. Yeah, that's I'll that's not that. bad. That is that's very very good, uh, but a bit sad, really. Um, all we can really ask ourselves now is if we're in the later stages of this season, and Red Bull are still winning by nineteen. Let's face it, Max could have kept going forever, can he? <laughs> you know, nineteen or twenty seconds. Then, is it going to be possible for anyone? to close up the gap for next year. Lando said at the end of the race on the radio, that's a double podium for for McLaren. Not bad. We're coming for Red Bull. Do you believe him? I think they are coming for them slowly but surely, but I don't think they'll be the ones to to come for them as such. I think they'll be on the podiums again this uh, calendar year and also when it comes to next calendar. But I think it's almost impossible isn't it when there's been no regulation change going from this season to next season for there to be a, a drop off if you will for one team and a huge leap up 
for another. The only times that I've been watching Formula 1 that I've seen that is when regulation changes have come in. You look at, I suppose, moving into the 2022 season being a more recent example, but also between 2008 to 2009, McLaren and Ferrari disappeared way uh, past the podium, if you feel, sinking down towards the places of 7th, 8th, 9th and 10th. So I think there will be a hangover, but I think that moving forwards into like the th- I suppose the second quartile, if you will, or period of next year's calendar, we will see another team uh, be able to go and fight Red Bull on their own terms, really. Yeah, interesting comment from Norris, because are, are McLaren coming for Red Bull? Mm, they're not getting uh, that much closer. I'd argue Red Bull, have, or at least Verstappen, has got a bit further away since perhaps mid-season when it looked like, you know, McLaren were genuinely challenging for victories or able to at certain races. I think the key difference, to be honest, between them is race pace. Like, it's all very well, because Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri are excellently quick, exceptionally quick drivers, and they can put it together over one lap. But the Red Bull's just a faster car in the race. It will come back in the race, even if you put a slower car on pole. For example, when Hamilton got on pole in Hungary, or when Science got on pole in uh, Monza, the Red Bull's just going to come back. It's got more race pace. And I think that's the thing that McLaren need to work on going into the future races. I think Norris partially has to say that on the radio because he wants to think of his role as a driver. He wants to G up the team. He wants to try and foster some sort of team work ethic and collaboration to to get them to keep pushing. Because, you know, sometimes... It's good to finish the season strongly. Think how in 2020, the pandemic year, Red Bull won that final race in Abu Dhabi after Mercedes had won pretty much every race that year. And that gave Red Bull the positive momentum they needed to start 2021 at the front of the field, which then led to that amazing battle between Verstappen and Hamilton. So maybe Norris sees a bit of green shoots with that, possibly. Um he probably was also desperate for that first victory because I'm going to give you guys a stat which I read just before I came on here. He now has, I believe, 543 career points, which is the most ever number of career points for a driver without a race win. And he's done 98 races so far. So that doesn't mean he's a bad driver. He's obviously an excellent driver and he's finished, what, second, I think, four times this season on different occasions. So he's clearly an excellent driver, but yeah, it's about uh, he wants to get that first win. I'm sure he's absolutely desperate for it. Do you want to know something a bit sad though? I know up there with that stat is Nico Hulkenberg's, and Hulkenberg mm, yeah. holds the dubious yes. uh, position of having the most F1 points without a podium, which is just a bit sad, really. And uh, given he's with Haas at the moment, I don't think that's going to change um, anytime soon. I still think back to his best opportunity for a long time was um that that fateful 2021 German Grand Prix. I think it's 2021. Oh yeah, the rain. Yeah, one. It was yeah, 20, yeah. or 2020 yeah. when uh, he was on the yeah. he was in the podium positions and then he just skidded off and crashed. Anyway, um yeah I but um given that Norris I think at the moment I would say is a race winner in waiting. Um, it it does show that McLaren are, have really picked up. And actually, as another sort of interesting point for this year, McLaren and Mercedes are the only only team that have managed to get both drivers on the podium other than Red Bull this year. So 
if you had asked me at the beginning of the season whether or not I thought McLaren was going to be able to get both drivers on the podium as well, I would have said absolutely not. That's absurd. So Mercedes sort of did it in Spain, and now McLaren have managed to sort of pull out out of the bag um, here in Japan. So I would I would say that Norris is going to get a race win eventually. It was just some in the words of Norris himself, just Max has got to stop ruining it for everybody. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, it, it's been a really interesting season, I think, from Max downwards. So get out your duct tape, stick it over the P1 position, and you've got yourself one hell of a race. <laughs> Just got to ignore the, um, yeah, Max Bashan for a bit. Do you think then, Tristan, that McLaren can take the fight to Red Bull next year? Because we look now at some great podium finishes, fighting for wins, two cars on there. But let's rewind to the start of the season. And we were talking about the doomsday scenario, really, for McLaren down in P17, 15, P19, P16, as close as Austria, really. Um, it's only been recently they've they've turned it on. Can they get rid of that inconsistency, do you feel, next season? Yeah, that's that's what we have to really throw ourselves back to the beginning of the season. And you look at it and, and McLaren hadn't even got 20 points by June. They've gone from from that to 172 points in just well three or four months it's it's been one out of a, of a whirlwind and no idea what's changed they they have done this big restructuring reorganization within mclaren was one of those teams where the engineers were saying that basically it was poor management so maybe it's worked you know maybe this is the been the big thing that it's all about management and that's how they've they've restructured themselves and that's this is what's always really interesting when you look at f1 logistics it's not interesting but i find it interesting at the very least it, it's not all about the designers i know we love talking about how brilliant adrian newey is and yeah adrian newey is a, a fantastic aero designer and and definitely specializes in, in f1 floors and has been attributed this year to the success of the um red bulls floor which has allowed them to be so dominating but let's not forget that that the great paddy lowe um, joined William back in 2019 and was cited as turning around the team. And because of poor management there, Williams didn't do very well. He didn't even get to testing, which is embarrassing. And in the end, he ended up splitting with the team and, and leaving, going off and doing doing other things. So it's not just about the names. It's not just about the brains, but it's about the whole package. So I think McLaren has certainly turned a new leaf. I think they've still got a significant deficit. And I wouldn't necessarily say they're taking the fight to Red Bull. I'd say they're taking the fight at the moment to Mercedes and definitely Aston Martin. So mm. yep. they've got a bit of a way. And I, I, I'm hopeful that by the time we get to the end of the these regulations in a few years' time, McLaren will be up there. But to be honest, it's amazing how quickly things can turn around and how much of a team's fate can change. But what I would also say about McLaren is they've really landed a blinder with having both Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri in the team. And with Piastri now being signed for an extra three years, I think they've got a very, very solid team to push that car forward, which is something that other teams like Williams, like Aston Martin, really need to get their head around. Why Williams isn't on the call to um, Liam Lawson at the moment, I don't know. and why. Stroll is still being thrown into the Aston Martin car. I have no idea. If McLaren overtake 
um, Aston Martin this year, it would have been because Lance Stroll failed to get enough points when that car was dominating. Big time. Big yep. time. And I think 100%. as well, the fact that Piastri signed on is almost McLaren getting their ducks in a row and starting to, I suppose, think of life beyond Lando Norris. They're not wanting to fall into the trap of Renault, now Alpine, where you basically had one driver on loan, Esteban Ocon, now signed permanently, and Ricardo going, well, I'm off to passage new, then you're left in the lurch, really. So good management, once again, not only just on the track in terms of how they perform, but also off it as well, not only to acquire Piastri after all the sort of legal rigmarole there, but to keep him as well and to show him why it's worth him staying there. So I think not only have they helped themselves now moving forwards, and on that point, do we think then there's a gap of 49 points between McLaren and Aston Martin? Are McLaren going to do it? Are they going to go and beat Aston Martin and rise up to the lofty heights of, what is that, P4? Mm, I'm going to... I'm going to stick my neck out and say that they won't catch them. Sounds pretty bold Ooh. right now, but only because only because earlier in the season I said that they wouldn't be caught, so therefore I'm, I'm going to stick with my prediction. Even though, like you say, McLaren are on, a, on an absolute tear-up, an absolute rampage right now. Looking like they're going to be in that sweet spot for the foreseeable future, possibly for the rest of the season. I'm talking myself out of my own prediction here, I feel like. But... Hmm. Um, at this point, I have faith. I just have faith that it will, that they will still be, still be able to maintain fourth. I think that getting to a position higher is out of the question. I think Ferrari and Mercedes have pulled away, so they will be uncatchable. But I'm going to back Aston Martin to keep that fourth place. I'm going to say that I'm going to remind uh, listeners of my uh, bold prediction at the start of the season, which was arguably closer to coming true earlier in the season than it is now. But it was Fernando Alonso to finish on the podium not on the podium finish on the top step of the podium and get a race win in that Aston Martin so I'm going to say that that's still going to happen because I've got to back my prediction um, guys give me some more substance because my, my prediction is solely based on uh, based on vibes and feeling to be honest on all predictions just a gut feeling I think they are going to catch I, them though There's, they're having such mm. a big haul of points at the moment I, I can't see uh, Alonso holding on to that to the position really. I mean, Lance Stroll's no point. So basically, at the moment, it's it's Aston Martin is being driven by Alonso. I I think they're going to catch. I think they are going to catch and make up the deficit. I think they're going to overtake. I think we can see McLaren still on the podium later on um, in the season. Let's not forget that what we're coming up to now is the deserts um, and also. America. I mean, Las Vegas is a desert as well. So let's face it, eh, it's going to happen. Um, and I just, I can see, I can see McLaren taking more podiums, and I'm going to say they're going to get another double podium this season. Ooh. So that's that's my like mid-season prediction. And especially as we head nice. towards like Las Vegas, a bit of a wild card. I think that's going to pose some really interesting things, especially given that it's going to be November in a desert, and it's supposed to be very, very cold. I looked up the temperatures before we started so that we could uh, I could bring this up and nighttime temperatures in Las Vegas in November reached 2 degrees Celsius. The race is starting at midnight in Las Vegas. It's it's going to be cold. So, hey, you know, a random cold race, I think this could offer uh, McLaren a chance for a win. Mhm. 
Agreed. And looking at the Drivers' Championship when it comes to Norris, there's a battle there as well for him. Level on points now. Joint 7th with George Russell on 115 points. 20 behind Charles Leclerc. Could he catch him? Could he beat one of the Ferrari drivers? Because I feel to do that is another sort of feather in his cap, if you will, considering that, dare I say, in some races, Ferrari have looked like the second best car. I think that it's possible. I still say that Ferrari still have a strong car and getting to fourth and sixth in Japan as they did, still a strong result. I'd say that if we, what's probably got more chance of happening is Sainz catching Alonso, I'd say. Because if we are to go off the basis that Aston Martin is not looking as quick at the moment and the Ferrari's looking pretty devilish, pretty quick, I'd say that Sainz catching Alonso is more likely. Or even what if Norris catches Alonso? How about that? Um, Norris, yeah, Norris is having a blinding season because at the moment he's ahead of Russell in that Mercedes. And like you say, close behind to Leclerc. And he's really proving his worth in what's admittedly a fast car. But it does make you think as well, there's going off a tangent admittedly, what if that McLaren car had the pace that it did pre-Silverstone for the whole season? Imagine. Would they be second in the Constructors' Championship outright? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. What about... I'm I'm just looking at the points. And, and Tom, to be fair, until you'd highlighted it, I didn't actually quite clock that George Russell is, is level in points uh, with Lando Norris at 115 points, which shows you the deficit given that Mercedes is currently in second place overall in the Constructors' Championship, something I didn't expect to say, actually, because of the domination of that Aston Martin car at the beginning of the season. But with Lewis Hamilton on 190 points and Sergio Perez on 223, there's only 33 points difference there. These are these are differences that can be made up in just a couple of races, and given what Perez is doing at the moment and his own comments on his own headspace, there is a significant threat to second place in the drivers' championship from the unlikely source of Lewis Hamilton. Absolutely bizarre, and that's nothing against Lewis Hamilton. I, I, but it's unlikely in my mind that Mercedes would have turned it around so much. Bear in mind they had to do a mid-season refresh of the car and go in a completely different direction. So yeah, I would say that basically from eighth to second place is all for to play for between I'd say one or two rungs on that ladder. No one is secure. George could fight Norris. Norris is trying to catch Leclerc. Leclerc is trying to catch Sainz. Sainz is only twenty points behind Alonso. Alonso is only twenty points behind Hamilton, and Hamilton is only thirty points behind Perez. And so, yeah, okay, across that whole thing, that range there from first all the way to eighth is a lot. But that inter interlevel fight is, is really, really close. It's been a really interesting season on that front. And this is because of these rotations that we've had all the way through. So I do believe that we're going to, at the end of this season, when we come back and do the full review, we're going to have someone completely different in fourth or, or third. We'll be like, oh, well, who would have thought Russell would have just dominated the last six races and is up there in second place? Not I. Um, but because I think it's time to talk about Perez and that embarrassment, I would like to open it, really, Tom, to you. You've done such yeah. a good job of posing questions so far. I'd say that is Sergio Perez going to keep second place? And if he doesn't, is that the final nail 
in the coffin and he's going to be ejected out of the team. I mean, what another disappointing outing it was for Perez, wasn't it, really? I mean, I go from defending him and saying, no, no, he's done quite well this season. He's shown his worth. People didn't give him enough credit. And he's trying to do everything in his power to make sure that all his weaknesses and fragilities are highlighted. You know, by his own admission, he's not in the best headspace at the moment. But he really is, I suppose, doing a, a poor job in this sort of patch of uh, this season as I said before he is very much a patchy driver either he's on it for a few races or frankly he's not and he seems to be in one of those sort of not phases and I think the fact that he's in Max Verstappen's car the fact that that car is so much better than anybody else and the opponent that Red Bull face changes and rotates really does put a magnifying glass on him even more and how well he's doing or not so well Red Bull have obviously never had a one-two in the constructors be that with Weber and Vettel or any other uh, incarnation, I guess, of the, the Red Bull team. So the chance they've got it now pretty much all sewn up, the chance they're going to go and throw that away would just be, I suppose, remarkable and incredibly disappointing. So to answer your question, if he doesn't get P2, I think that is curtains in one form or another. I think that, of course, he'll see out his contract, I believe. I don't think he'll get the Ricardo treatment of being, I suppose, terminating it by mutual consent if you will but I do think that that'll be that and they'll get someone like Ricardo or I think Lando Norris to come in will he keep it well that's another great question because you look at the number of contenders who could take that seat there are many as you say the fact that Lewis Hamilton's in P3 and the drivers is something I didn't really acknowledge or think about he's very much been sort of the submarine hasn't he so far this season he's quietly gone about his business collecting podiums uh, be that two second places and three third places and outscoring his teammate comfortably after the vice versa happened I would back Lewis Hamilton to take it to the last race of the season I think we're going to have an Abu Dhabi shootout 2.0 this time it's a P2 but um yeah, a Red Bull versus Mercedes gunning out for a position. This time it's not first, but a lot of reputations on the line, I think, particularly for Perez, particularly for Red Bull as well, if they can't convert this. Imagine if Sergio Perez was in a Red Bull where Max Verstappen wasn't his teammate. The title of this podcast just become, What If Max Verstappen Didn't Exist? <laughs> I think we've seen many scenarios, many scenarios this year where it's actually pretty damn competitive if he doesn't exist. I mean... On Sunday, he had well. He had to overtake uh, Norris. Had Piastri had to overtake Russell when Russell did his different strategy, the one stop rather than the two stop. But it was a, yeah, it was a great battle uh, up until that point. It would have been a battle for the win, but Verstappen was already miles up the road. Sadly, um, to go back to Perez, go back to Perez. It just it's so weird. I find how he was so brilliant in a midfield team in a racing point in a Force India in a Salba right at the start of his career and yet he's I mean last year to be fair he was he was dropped off a little bit I thought his first year at Red Bull was, was good overall uh, he won that race in Baku from memory uh, may have won in Istanbul as well perhaps but this year has just been dire man he's just been since since Azerbaijan he's been absolutely dire I mean he got mugged on the last part of the race in Miami and ever since then he's just been he had five Q3 uh, failures in a row like he didn't get Q3 a lot he's got a few podiums in more recent races but he was just awful in Japan honestly it was, his race was absolutely dreadful just the clumsiness of it being in collisions like 
give Lawson that seat. I don't care what you think. Five races in, even if he gets absolutely murdered by Max Verstappen, just give Lawson the Red Bull seat. I don't care. I want something different because Perez is just... It's just been dire. As soon as you take him out of a midfield team, he just hasn't been able to hack it, which I find I find really strange. I don't know if you guys agree with that because remember the days when he was when he was in a midfield team and he'd be absolutely smashing it. I mean, there's a reason why he's made it to what was it, 250 Grand Prix? He hit that milestone in Singapore. He's clearly good, but he's just been so mediocre for Red Bull. Yeah, he kind of has. Been, well, he's kind of been mediocre. For the last or oh, few Grand Prix, and really, it kind of all went a little bit wrong after after Monaco, and he actually had a really interesting interview um, this weekend, and he actually said that he he's lost the headspace, and after he got sort of defeated um, back, can you think all the way back to Miami, and. In Monaco, he was just pushing it harder because he felt like he had to compete with Max. And he had that, that crash. And it's all been downhill from there. And he says it's because after that, he felt like the car, he just couldn't get in with the car and engage with the car. But I do think, in part, that's because he's trying to do things with the car that he's maybe not comfortable with. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't necessarily suit the style. Now, how much of that is mental and how much of that is real is going to be debated but I will say that Red Bull really has a problem with that with their drivers we can think about how many they've gone through in the last few years Alex Albon, Pierre Gasly and now Sergio Perez they've all got the same sort of problem they're all sort of excelling in, in, a, in a less pressured team fighting and being scrappy and then they get chucked in the big boy car the really fast car and they can't Get on with it. And I, I at some point, you, I do start wondering how much of it is that, oh, the car, well, it's all the car's fault because the car, you know, is, is set up in such a way and blah, blah, blah. And how much of it might be team culture. Just just food for thought there, really. And maybe what Red Bull needs is another Max Verstappen. Let's not forget, Max got promoted at 16 years old and in his first race, won it in Red Bull. That is that is a dream start. And so maybe what they need is not a driver that's comfortable being scrappy and going through and just actually a novice, someone who can just plant themselves in that Red Bull car and not get familiar with something else. Maybe they need that sort of energetic spirit. And so, yeah, maybe Liam Lawson's the right choice. I think back to Red Bull of old, how they just, you know, demoted um, Kvyat and put in Max Verstappen. And I start, I think, well, actually, hold on. I wonder whether or not they should just do the same thing for Perez. It's only a few races till the end of the season. Just be like, well, Perez, look, you know, you're causing us problems. We've already won the World Constructors Championship. Sit it out for the last few races, last six races. Let's chuck Liam Lawson in and see what he can do. Again, isn't that meant to be the whole purpose of the junior team, the sister team, Tor Rossa, now Alpha Tauri, really? The idea was to go and, I suppose, I suppose bleed young drivers in and then get them up to speed with uh, how Red Bull be working, be that a, a sort of junior or senior level. And then you go from there, really. Granted, that hasn't happened too much with the more recent incarnations of Albon and Gasly, but that's the purpose of it. And I think, really, we're seeing the introduction of Perez, albeit you know a few seasons now, and the fact that he's having patches in form, 
really does show what happens when Red Bull deviate from their model. We saw that again with uh, Nick DeVries, for example, when he came in. He struggled to go and adapt to the car to start with after doing so well with the Mercedes Williams. So maybe it is a case of Red Bull diverting from their original plan and that being to not necessarily the team's disadvantage but to individuals disadvantage really and that's why perhaps we're seeing Liam Lawson to name one drive we'll get onto a bit later doing so well in that car because that's all he's known really he's not known a McLaren for example or a Williams or a Renault or anything all he's known is Red Bull powertrain or not how it's done and how they're driven so I completely see credit in what you, where you're coming from there and what's weird with Perez I think this race was he's got it into his head at the moment that everyone else should just roll over and let him through. When you're listening to commentary, often you hear those those sentences which are, oh, well, McLaren knows the fight's not with Red Bull and that's why they let them through. And looking at the way that Perez was driving this weekend, the way he, he just came out of nowhere, completely overshot the corner and just ploughed into poor... Kevin Magnussen, just like how in Singapore he did the same thing to Alex Albon, just ploughed into him, thinking, "Oh, we just get out of my way. Come on, I'm, you know, I'm getting, I'm coming through. That your your fight's not with me." Is is not a driver that I would say is currently in a in a good headspace, even when Max isn't winning and fighting his way through the pack. He's still fighting. He's still racing aggressively, but fairly. And is willing to give up moments. Oh yeah, well, okay, they've got away from me on this traction point, but I'll get them later on because I've got the superior car. Yeah, just plough into them and go, ah, well, ha, out the way, you. Be gone now, little Albon. I'm coming through. Bye-bye, Magnussen. <laughs> Bye-bye. And I feel like that's what Perez has hap- happened at the moment. He's just got in his head that he's just he just should be through. So he's just going to gonna do that. And I think at the moment, that's part of the reason why he's also going to struggle because he doesn't necessarily know how to push through with the car at the moment. And talking further about the Kiwi man himself, Liam Lawson, another good outing for him. His final Grand Prix, we understand for now with AlphaTauri, qualified and finished in P11. But as I say there, AlphaTauri have confirmed they're going with Daniel Ricciardo. He'll return not only next week, but also partner Sonoda next year in the Alpha Tauri car. So our thoughts then on Liam Lawson's stint with Alpha Tauri being a short one, but perhaps not one that's going to be over completely. What do you think about the lineup for next year? I would ask, is it is it his final race? I thought that Ricardo wasn't quite uh, recovered for, for Qatar. It was what I read somewhere. I could be wrong. I think but... he's coming back. Yeah. Is he coming back yeah, to Qatar? But I think with all these things, it's like a okay. wait and see. He could jump into mm. the car and yeah. pre-practice and realise he can't turn his wrist properly. So I think the goal is to get him back okay. because he's at Super Formula now, Lawson. Yes. Mm. No, fair enough. But um, yeah, to answer the original question, well, yeah, this weekend was was pointed out was the first time since the Dutch Grand Prix that Sonoda and Lawson have had a race against each other because Sonoda didn't start Monza and he was out on lap one in Singapore. So... It's the first time for Sonoda. It's the first time since August, I think, that he completed a racing lap. So congratulations to him with that. Um, if that deserves congratulations. Lawson, though, I thought it's a it's a good performance. He's done well again. He's finished ahead of Sonoda. I think that qualifying was interesting because Sonoda had a bit of a well, the pace of the home crowd, the extra 
how Nigel Mansell used to have a famous quote that the the British crowd he said gave him half a second in pace just to driving and driving him on and cheering him on. So I wonder if Sonoda had a bit of that this weekend because he did very well to get into the top ten and then qualify ahead of Fernando Alonso. He got closer to Russell in qualifying than he did to Alonso, uh, who he finished ahead of. But Lawson, yeah, he drove well again. I mean, he's doing a stellar job. He is someone who, I, to be honest, he's doing well. I didn't expect him to do necessarily this well, having seen his his junior record. Yes, he won. He won a lot in terms of winning the first race that he was in lots of series. Maybe I placed too much value on F2 because he came ninth in his first year in F2 and it took him until uh, his second year in F2 for him to finish in the top three. So respectable for sure, but you could argue that he perhaps could have uh, done better in that respect. But regardless, yeah, he's had a another good race. It'll be sad to see him go. Um, I hope he's not gone forever. I don't think he should be back in the future. But I don't think this will be if it is his last race. I don't think it'll be his last Formula One race. Um, he's definitely equipped himself very well. Finished all four races, got to the end of them, survived that chaos in uh, Zandvoort, drove well in Italy, got points on the toughest circuit on the calendar, arguably, and then drove solidly in Japan, not finishing too far outside the points from uh, from the Alpines. So, um, yeah, best of luck to him. And he'll probably, if he's not in a race seat, he'll be a reserve driver next year. So Red Bull now have a competent person to come in at the drop of a hat should one of their drivers have something happen to them. So it's probably been a very beneficial exercise for Red Bull, to be honest. Absolutely. Now, I have a question for you all. What does mm. Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, Fernando Alonso, Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon, Kevin Magnussen and Nico Hulkenberg and Daniel Ricciardo all have in common? They scored points in one of their first three to four races. Now I can add Yuki Tsunoda into that list as well. Scored points in their first race. Mm, okay. Joe Guan Yu, also in this list. Uh, they, they all have their contracts run out in 2024. Ah. Uh, 2024 <laughs> is gearing up to be one hell of a driver's market, which is really bad timing for Liam Lawson because there is only one seat at the moment which is up for grabs yes and that's the Williams of Logan Sargent Logan Sargent who has not shone very much in the last few races I'm being polite but he Mm. I would say at the moment looks like the weakest driver on the list and Williams needs something stable and this was posed to Christian Horner this weekend and he was asked can Liam Lawson go to Williams and Christian Horner's response was really interesting and he said um, well I'm, I'm not sure Williams would want Liam Lawson for just one year mm. I know I know and I was like oh oh we could infer okay. from that <laughs> that's an interesting response we yeah can. so mm-hmm. I'd say Liam Lawson's future may well be relatively secure but I would love Liam Lawson to go to Williams 
next year and replace Logan Sargent. I'm sorry, Logan Sargent has, has high hopes, but it's a short, it's a short memories in Formula One, and unfortunately, he's not exactly done brilliantly. And Williams need the points, and Liam has not only gained points now in Formula One, but is beating his teammates. So I would be so surprised if, if. James Vowles isn't talking to Christian and saying that we'll have him for a year. I know then, therefore, they need to fill the seat somehow. But I feel like Williams could could nab another driver. You know, there's many waiting in the wings. Um, and maybe nab it from somewhere else. Uh, let's if you feel ever feel a bit redundant, don't forget that Aston Martin has a young driver development program. <laughs> um, I don't know what they make Drogovic do, but um, it's very limited. So maybe they can poach um, someone from the Aston Martin Young Drivers Development Program. But Liam Lawson has definitely shown that that rookies can really make an impact, just like Oscar Piastri has. Um, Oscar Piastri, by the way, first uh, rookie in a very long time to make a podium in his, in his rookie season. Do you know who the last person to do that was? Ooh. Um, They're on the grid. Uh- Oh, Verstappen. No, the last mm. one first came in after Verstappen. After Verstappen, you said. Yeah, after Verstappen. Oh, uh, don't know if you'll get this. Oh, I, I keep on mentally ticking people off the list. Um, oh, I don't know. Put Lance Stroll. Oh, oh my god, <laughs> I know. I was as well. I was like, no. What? <laughs> yeah, the last oh, rookie incredible. to get on the podium in oh. their maiden F1 season was Lance Strolovich himself. I can't I couldn't believe <laughs> either, but yeah. Wow. Anyway, there you go. So um I hope that Piastri's career is slightly slightly more shiny than, than Stroll's has been. But Honestly, Liam Lawson, if, if other teams aren't looking at him, they, they really should be. And I think he'd do well in Williams. Something about the fact he can scrap and get a little bit more out of the car, I think would suit the Williams because the Alfa Tauri is not an easy car to drive. And yes, it's not the same car that started the season with Nick De Vries in it, but it is certainly definitely not up there with the Ferraris, with the Red Bulls, or, or certainly previous levels comparatively of Alfa Tauri and Toro Rosso. So, Oh, you heard it here first. He's going to Williams at the end of this because Logan Sarge is not going to be renewed. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. Say so that. I read an article earlier which said that Liam Lawson was close to saying, I won't go to Williams. I'll be a Red Bull driver for next year. So sorry to just throw throw water on your prediction there. But um, I don't know. It makes, it makes complete sense for him to go there, I think. Makes complete sense. He would be benefiting his career if he were to to go there but I don't know I've still got a feeling Williams will plump for Mick Schumacher anyway they'll make that their choice oh yeah that'd be nice wouldn't yeah. it remember that him that would be nice because there's the Mercedes link there as well yep. isn't there because the, he's reserves are, reserve, yeah, reserve driver for Mercedes Correct. and obviously they share reserve drivers so you know here we go. I think it'll be an upgrade, personally. I think that ever since I said that Latifi was... Sorry, Stroll was... Um, Sergeant was Latifi, rather. He is becoming more Latifi-like, unfortunately. <laughs> so I think, morphing. <laughs> he, he is, unfortunately, morphing about. I don't know if, don't know if that's a sort of a, a North American connection there. But um, I think, the, of the wider point, 
of Logan Sargent. Logan Sargent does need to leave Formula One, unfortunately, because I'm not seeing any signs that he's going to improve, is improving, or will be a betterment to Williams versus a hindrance, unfortunately. What is it with North American drivers in a Williams that goes so wrong, honestly? Stroll, Latifi, Sargent. There's like a pattern developing. It's really odd. And there we go. That seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 30 of F1 in Review. Uh, thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one. Be that on your preferred podcast provider or need elsewhere. A reminder as ever, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok, the handle being F1 in Review, where we post the episodes once they go up and short teasers of what's inside them and of episodes prior as well. So do feel free to go and scroll back and uh, let us know what you think about our predictions and our thoughts that may have aged remarkably well or not. Uh, we'll be back next week. Formula One, unfortunately, is not the next one being uh, Qatar, but that being a few weeks away. So we'll be, we'll be back to go and discuss penalties being one topic and a whole lot more that comes between now and then. So thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you.